This is Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian podcast community. All right, we are live, Apologetics Live. Matt Slick, Andrew Rappaport, Matt Slick from Karm.org. I am Andrew Rappaport from strivingfraternity.org. We are here to answer your theological, apologetical questions. Now, I will say this, uh, for folks, there have been a lot of people, Matt, that have been challenging you, saying you've been dodging Catholic debates. <gasps> because I have been? Nerve to care for your I, wife. I didn't know that. Well, you had, we, you had the people that were contacting you and saying that uh, you... you We've been dodging debates uh, for the Catholic. Here's a a question I have for all these uh, haters of yours out there. Uh, Here we are live every Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Where are they? Come on in. The debate. So uh, uh, what we do have to do is for folks who are watching on YouTube, let me save this. If you go to apologeticslive.com or if you're watching there, and you refresh your page, the link to participate is now there. So you can go to apologeticslive.com and get the link to join. And uh, that is how you're going to be able to get your questions answered. And meanwhile, Matt, we could take some questions. We have a Facebook group where people come in and ask questions. And that is called, strangely enough, Apologetics Live. And so people can go there, ask questions there, and that's what we'll sometimes start with. Uh, but Matt, you you had an opportunity this weekend. You had the opportunity. I told you I wouldn't fight you if you wanted to pay for dinner um, this Sunday night. I'm not going to mess up <laughs> your wedding. Oh, it's not my, it was my daughter's wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Your daughter's wedding. I, I, and you know, so so I I tried. I really did try to get out of paying for it. I, I I told you I would if you came, you were invited. I said that if you came, I wouldn't fight you over the bill. Um, I started taking McDonald's and gotten you a couple, you know, some French fries. You know, that's what I, I would have done. You know, the, um, one of the things that Anthony Silvestro, you know, Doctor Silvestro, uh, he really wanted one of these challenge coins that they have from the Ambassadors Academy. And the way that works is that if you challenge someone and they don't have their coin on them. They have to buy the meal. And if they have their coin on them, you have to buy the meal, whether it's a meal, coffee, whatever it is. Uh, so I purposely, he, he went out of his way to make sure he had one of those challenge coins. And I purposely brought mine to the wedding and I challenged him. He did not have his coin on him. And yet he still didn't pay for the dinner. I, I don't, he, you know, he, he should have paid for it. <laughs> you know, it, it's going to happen. And, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to make you feel bad when I finally do buy dinner and I'm going to rub it in every <laughs> different way I possibly can. And, uh, I'm just waiting. I know it's going to happen. I do too. So <laughs> it's going to happen. You're that day. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, oh, I'm going to be snarky about it and, and gloating just like I did at McDonald's <laughs> back in Manti. Hey, that reminds me, uh, that looks like Mormonism is not going to be doing any more pageants. Yeah, so let's talk about that. More the, the well, you can't even say Mormon. Yeah, we finished. It was, that's it. I can do anymore. So, so, so let's let's start with the fact that you can't call them Mormons anymore, and then let's talk about the pageants. There's two new things going on with with uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints that they want you to say. Yeah, uh, I call them Mormons. Yep. 
So the president has come out and said, you're not allowed to call them Mormons. Um, for folks who don't understand Mormonism, Matt, can you, could you kind of get, give an explanation for folks of what it, that ends up meaning when just because one person says you can't do this? What's, what's special about the president? Mormonism. Oh, in Mormonism, he's supposed to be the the revelator, and he has the final authority and everything in Mormonism, and uh, that he represents God. He's the prophet, and so what he says basically goes. And now he has stated that um, not supposed to call Mormons Mormons anymore. We just call them Mormons, and why do we do that? Because it's short. We just that's what we do in language. We shorten things. That's all it is. You know, it, you're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. You know, uh, LDS is much easier. What's that? Mormon, LDS. It's just it's easy. LDS. Are you LDS? Yeah. What does LDS stand for? Loser denomination sect. You know, I don't know. Mormon just it works. I think I'm tired of this. It's a game. You know, it's just. Oh, I'm still going to call them Mormons. Is it the Book of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints? Book of Mormon? No. Is it the um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints Choir, Tabernacle Choir? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to bring that up, and I find it funny that it's it's you know Mormon.org and things like that. But yeah, give up Mormon.org. I'll take it. I'd be glad <laughs> to take it. I would love to have Mormon.org. I would love it. So let, let me ask you this then. So you you brought up the pageants. Now, for folks who don't know, yeah. you and you've been going to Manti, Utah, where they have this major pageant mm-hmm. every year. For it's been, I think they've been doing that years. for fifty years. They've been doing it fifty years. I've been out there off and on fifteen years or so. You've been out a, what, a couple times, three times, I've something been out like there that for three years in a row now. Um, okay, this year before. And and this so this may be the last year. So if right. anyone wants to in the in June, the dates are set. This will probably be the biggest pageant, being that it's going to be the last. Yeah. That's right. And I'll be there. Andrew will be there. And some other people like Bill McKeever might be there, whatever. You don't know anything. People that like more than you and I combined on Mormonism. They've forgotten more about Mormonism than you and I combined. <laughs> more than you and I have ever learned. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> in fact, they were here in the area. Um, they're teaching right now, as a matter of fact, at our time, they're here in the Boise area. And I went and saw them two nights in a row just because I was bored one night ago. I, I said, oh, hey, I'm going to come out and watch you guys. And and because uh, we went out to lunch. And I said, hey, I'm going to come, come out tonight and watch you guys. And you'll hear a lot of forehead slapping from the back of the room. And uh, tease them, having fun. Wait, wait. You went to lunch with Bill McKeever. D- doesn't and he owe you lunch? The, the- I owe him lunch. That's right. There's a whole other thing with stupid lunch stuff. How, yeah. Why is it you owe Bill McKeever lunch? <laughs> because when we both lived down in San Diego County years ago, um, you know, we we're friends. And I said, hey, Bill, I owe you lunch for something, you know, it's whatever. So I'll come down and buy you lunch. So I drove all the way down 40, 40 minutes to get there and bought him lunch, except I didn't buy him lunch because I forgot my wallet. And, uh, you know, it happens. So we kind of chuckled about it. And about two months later, I said, hey, Bill, I owe you a lunch. That that one lunch plus another one. And uh, I'll come down. And I said, I came down and bought him lunch. And no lie. I reached for my wallet. And I went, uh-oh. And I could see the whole future right in front of me. And Bill he just smiled. He goes, you forgot your wallet again, didn't you? And from then on, it's been about me buying Bill a lunch. Every time we go out, even, even uh, you know, a couple of days ago, we went out to lunch. He goes, hey, did you bring your wallet? I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. So, some people are trying to say that you're just actually being smarter than the rest of us. And, you know, you've, you've got Bill to buy you lunch, lunch. Me to buy you dinners, you know. You- yeah. I have you guys fighting to buy me lunch thinking 
that I'm actually trying to buy you lunch. It's pr- I'm pretty slick. Yeah, that that would be slick if we actually believed it. <laughs> yeah. But actually, the, the fact that you've tried so hard <laughs> to buy me, food, we, I have. You know, I tried. We were wrestling at one part. You got my card and you tucked it away. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? All right. And then when uh, at McDonald's, when I was rubbing it in, I go, hey, 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 because you weren't feeling well and you bought your own. I bought my own. And, and, and then I walk over by the soda machine and the lady behind the counter goes, hey, your card didn't go through. No, because you were close to it. You whipped out your card and, put, and paid for it like crap. So uh, that's it, that was funny too. But, that was um, hilarious. That, was. That, the, and the, and that lady at McDonald's was great. Yeah, she, she she ripped on me a lot. She ripped Man. on everybody. It was great. We, we go to Manti. We got to go back to McDonald's and hope that she's still there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. A hey, that guy? Yeah, that guy. Wanted to order something, and she was like, "You know, real men don't order that for dinner." <laughs> yeah. like, okay, I don't. I won't order that. <laughs> a lot of fun. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? You know, let's get something. We don't have anybody. Call. Yeah, I don't know if we have anybody in. We do. Oh, we do. We got someone in that just came in, Andrew Graham. I'm going to add okay. him in now. I Our, put the uh, link up on uh, is is Roman Catholicism true? That my Facebook page. I've been battling the Roman Catholics for weeks. You know this. So, uh, I it's a very interesting thing because for years it used to be years ago that the that Roman Catholics used to do formal debates and and get on on bulletin boards and debate and for. It just seemed like 10 or 20 years that they kind of went silent for a while. And now all of a sudden, I've noticed in the last year or two, it seems like they're back at doing debates and wanting to do debates and, and mm-hmm. discuss things again. So, um, yeah, Catholics are saying, I need to debate uh, all these top guys. I'm like, have them call me and we'll set it up. You know, I don't care, whatever. And then they say, how come you haven't gone after them? I'm like, ah, I'm only working 60 hour weeks, you know, and, and, we're going to be moving in a few months and we're prepping the house for it. And I, I just did a release 180 articles on annihilationism. Like, Oh, get this yesterday or day before my, uh, data drive crashed. Oh, so I have been, you know, it took me a while to build everything back in and do everything I was doing neighbor, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm downloading on carbonite. I'm 2% done after 24 hours. Yeah. That's why I have a Mac. Well, okay. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I have five hundred. Oh no, it, it's been working for years. Okay, things happen. Even Max crash, and uh, five hundred and twenty gigs is being uh, downloaded. So it's it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so uh, we have Andrew Graham. I, I've added you in. If you uh, want to unmute yourself and ask any questions you have, and folks, if you want to join and ask questions, just go to apologeticslive dot com. There's a link to join there. So, Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Um, Australia here. Um, don't really have any questions. Just thought I'd come in and hang out, see what was going on. Um, actually, I was going to ask him about if you, um, if you guys have seen the uh, uh, the David Wood and the uh, Muhammad Hijab uh, debate, whether you guys had no. uh, any... Uh, no, I want to uh, see it. He, he apparently slaughtered him, but what? broke the rules and did well, everything. Of course, of course um, David would, would slaughter anybody. He knows his stuff, and Islam no, is no, not defensible. No, no, the other way around. Oh, really? Muhammad Hijab, he broke the rules. He broke the contracts. There was thievery from what I heard. Uh, he had his laptop cord taken. 
<laughs> wait, 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 Just wait. Just a whole wait, bunch wait. of things that went totally who, wrong. Whose laptop cord was taken? Uh, David Wood. Apparently. So they, really? so apparently they took David Wood's power cord so that he couldn't use his computer during the debate. Is that what you're saying? Something like that. I don't know exactly why this, I'm, I'm getting this, like I heard him say about this, but um, yeah, uh, just the whole debate just kind of seemed to be a one-sided affair, like a, an, an assault on Christianity from the Muslim point of view. Oh man, I want to get in and meet that guy. I want to debate him. That makes me mad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, let's go. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because uh, he was accused of running from him and didn't even know who he was. But I'd, I'd advise you to check the debate out first to see what he actually went through. So David Wood versus who? Muhammad Hijab, as in the oh, scarf that the Muslims wear. I got to yeah. Okay. Community or Taweed. Oh, I heard about that. Dave works with Mama Hijab. Yeah, I'll check it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the in the chat there, Matt. Yeah. In the chat. Yeah. And I'm okay. I'm actually asking David right now about it, and maybe we can get him to join and tell us about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, he was this the re- the recent one in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. The council actually wrote something about it. Um, here's a link to it right here. So, so, um, John, did you see this debate? And that's a negative. I've not heard. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to. It's, it's on my yeah, list, my to do list. Because I know, I know that. Uh, I mean, David contacted me to see if we can get the New York Evangelism team out there, which we did have some folks there um, to, you know, to be evangelizing there. And so, I just with daughter's wedding, I. <laughs> I kind of had some other things that I had to be doing, so I couldn't make That's it. That's understandable. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that I was I was more focused on like eating because that's what I did a lot of at the wedding. Good, good for you. Good for you. All right, so um, so you're da- you're down in Australia. Uh, yeah, Brisbane to be specific. Oh, okay. Uh, what time um, is it there? Uh, eleven fifteen. In the morning, or in the morning on the sixteenth, okay. Friday morning. So you get one more lap around the sun at least. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so do you so have how long you been? How long you been listening to the show? Uh, I've heard about you many, many times. Um, over. I just started listening to it maybe uh, a month ago. What do you mean? When you say you, you mean the show, Apologetics Live? The Apologetics Live, uh, this will be about my second time on it, but okay. um, I've like joining in all the other um, okay. uh, your call in shows um, about a month. Okay, well, good. Are you, um, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Um, I've uh, come across Calm before because, uh, well, it was an interesting checkout. A lot of stuff on that site, huh? Oh, there is. Uh, I only went over as a general um, uh, general cruise around, I guess I'll say. Yeah, um, but, yeah, I, I've, I've been getting into the apologetic circles 
uh, really only for about two or three months now. Okay. Uh, well, there's a lot to learn. Because, uh, and uh, it, it'll affect you. It'll affect you negatively. I mean, uh, just look at Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, no, that's my friendship with you. I used to be normal. <laughs> no, that's because of apologetics. He used to be, see, he was muscular and blonde hair, blue eyes. And uh, within two years, he turned into, you know, it was like doc, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, uh, yeah. So that's, all, oh, yeah. that's okay. I'm a perf- I'm a perfectly normal Asperger's syndrome person, so uh, I'm already a little odd. You have Asperger's? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know I do too. Diagnosed about twenty years ago. <laughs> you were diagnosed. Well, yeah. you know I have Asperger's also. I figured you said so the other day. That was why I said uh, welcome to the club. Yeah, welcome to the club. Yeah, we're the only normal <laughs> people. Everybody else, they got problems. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my wife last night. We were watching TV and this guy is some stupid commercial for country Western, which I hate country Western music. When they come on, the guy goes, there's no better experience than to host this. I'm like, no better experience. Oh, no, no thrilling experience. I said, really? No thrilling experience. Oh, I could think of something more thrilling. Push you out of a, of a plane <laughs> with no parachute over a field of cactus. You know, that'd be more thrilling. Uh, I can think of all these things. My wife's staring at always- me. <laughs> you could always have a what happened in uh well uh las vegas they didn't shoot the speakers they went after the performers didn't shoot the what western festival wasn't it the the shooting of the whatever oh, it was yeah. a couple of months ago yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my first thought was if you don't like the music go after the speakers not the <laughs> Yeah. Not the people at the event. Uh, I do not, in all seriousness, I do not comprehend how anybody could like country western. It, oh, it just is so, no. torture for me. Would be in a, in a jail cell with that playing. I would that say the torture. same thing. Groups like corn, you know. And, no, no, that that's that's <laughs> soothing. Corn is soothing. No, no, it is that is not soothing. That's anything but soothing. <laughs> it's soothing to me. Uh, well, so some reggae. It's soothing if you're on speed. <laughs> no, it, it has to do with the bass sound. It's 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 calming. It's like uh, when you give certain was it uh, give amphetamines to or a certain kind, you know, to people, yeah, uh, boys with autism. It has the opposite effect, calming right. them down. Yeah, that's it's like it's like that. Yeah, you give yeah. you give things like Ritalin to certain people. Like it, like coffee will calm me down. Coffee will make me tired. I drink it anyway, but. <laughs> Things that should make me tired get me wide, get me wired. So, yeah. So yeah, you probably have something too. Oh, I um, wacky r- something. from narcolepsy. I think that's the way it goes. The proof that I'm messed up is I'm friends with you. Um, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You're staying friends too, and you buy me uh, lunches and stuff. So, so you I'm got lots friend. of mental problems. So let's uh, <laughs> let me take some questions from Apologetics Live. Um, and Andrew, if you if you think of some more questions or comments, you know feel free to, to just put it in the chat and we'll, we'll jump back to you. Um, Matt, one of the questions that came in, a lot of people were asking for an answer is what are some of the arguments against annihilationism? I mean, you did just put up about 180 articles. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few uh, arguments you have. <laughs> well, for one thing, it's not an easy thing to answer, but um, here's what I'll do. Uh, get back into that. Move this over to there. No, I'll go over here. Yeah, I'll move this there. I'm going to get the uh, window going. Come on. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hit it. There we go. All right. Uh, what I'm going to do is go to, for example, Jude 6 and 7. And um, it says, uh, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. He has kept. That's uh, perfect tense, which means it's, it's, um, it is an action that's going from the past into the present and is continuing. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as those, as those indulged, that's past tense, in gross immorality and went, past tense, after strange fleth, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, there's basically a Greek rule kind of a thing. Now, it says are exhibited. That's in the present tense. And it says, as an example, undergoing, and that is um, what's called a present participle. A present participle is an ing word, a walking, talking. So when it says they are exhibited, that means they're they in a present tense are being exhibited, and but it's not an, a participle where it says are exhibited, but the undergoing is a participle. The participial form takes its tense from the verb. Um, ahead of it. So when it's, if it says had been exhibited, then it would be a pluperfect and undergoing would have been a completed action in the past. But because it's present tense are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire, the undergoing is a present participle and it borrows its time reference location from are exhibited, which is present tense. In other words, this is saying that the people are presently undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Presently. Now, it says eternal fire. Now, well, before I get into that, uh, presently undergoing, that means that they're conscious. Now, a lot of annihilationists hold to what's called soul sleep. Soul sleep is, to me, it's, it's kind of dumb because <clears throat> soul sleep is not something that they understand what it is. It's, a, it's unconsciousness. Really? I could talk about soul sleep for a while, but... You know, what is it? Um, is it unconsciousness? Is it non-existence? Is it consciousness without activity, with activity? And there's some issues that are related to that. But they really don't know. They just say it's, un it's unconsciousness. That's what they say. Soul sleep. You're con you're, you exist, but you're just not aware of anything. Okay, that's what they say. Where's that in Scripture? It, you know, it's in the book of Second Moronicles. That's where it is. But at any rate, it's undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, there's only... Uh, a few places where this kind of phraseology of eternal fire works. But let me just say that when it says eternal fire, what they interpret it to be is the fire that's eternal is eternal because God is eternal. And that's why the fire is eternal. It's really talking about God's nature. It's not really about the fire that's being eternal, but God is the eternal consuming fire. So therefore, the fire is called eternal. So what they're doing is reading into the text to make it say the opposite of what it actually says. It says they are presently exhibit. It says actually they are exhibited presently now as an example in undergoing present tense the punishment of eternal fire. The eternal fire there is the fire that is eternal, and they're undergoing punishment in it. Now, if the eternal fire is eternal, without end, and they're undergoing the punishment of it, then their punishment will be without end. Annihilationism is false. Simple. That's just one of the verses. All right. 
Another question that we got from the Apologetics Live group is, can you explain and defend limited atonement? Yes, limited atonement is a teaching that Jesus only legally bore the actual sin of the elect and not everybody who ever lived. Sin is breaking the law of God, 1 John 3, 4. And um, Jesus equated sin with legal debt when he said our, in Matthew 6, 12, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, forgive us our debts. And in the parallel in Luke eleven twelve, he said, forgive us our sins. And the word debt is a philema. The word sin is a hermartia. And so Jesus is equating legal debt with sin or sin with legal debt. Now, on the cross, John 1930, Jesus says it is finished. That phrase or the word, uh, it's a single word in Greek, is uh, tetelestai. Tetelestai is uh, a legal statement. And it has been found on the bottom of ancient tax receipts signifying a legal debt that's been paid in full. Um, on tax receipts, you know, to tell us die, it's been legally paid. Jesus says it is finished. And what he was doing was, was fulfilling the law, first, I mean, Matthew 5, and fulfilling everything that was necessary in order for the atonement to be proper. And so he did all of this stuff and he bore our sin in his body on the cross. Now, that's First Peter 2.24. How does God bear our sin? What does it mean to bear it? If sin is a transferable debt, then he can have it imputed to him or transferred to him. And before I go to Colossians 2.14, I'll give you a little analogy. Since sin is a legal debt, and when we break the law of God, we've incurred a debt against God. And so let's use this illustration of something. There's a man who uh, pays his mortgage. He goes to the bank uh, once a month. He takes his car, and he goes there, and he, he likes the procedure, and he just does it. It's just one of his things. On the way to the bank, um, this one particular time, he gets in a very bad car accident, ends up in a coma in the hospital. And um, a philanthropist hears about this guy's plight and pays off his entire mortgage of his house, goes into the bank and pays it off. Now, the question is, is it paid off? Yes, it is. Does the legal debt for the man in the coma, I call him coma man, does coma man, uh, or is the debt for uh, the legal debt for the coma man regarding the mortgage, does it exist anymore? No, it does not. Can he be held responsible for it? No, he cannot. Is he aware of it? No, he's not. The legality of the payment is not dependent upon the awareness, awareness or the acceptance by the person upon whom the debt is paid. I'll come back to that in a sec. So, coma man wakes up and he goes to the bank, miraculous recovery, and hands a check to the teller. The teller says, hey, your uh, mortgage is paid off. Well, who did it? Can't tell you. It's anonymous. Well, I don't like that. Well, too bad. Well, I pay my own debts. No, you can't. There's no debt here to, to pay. Well, I don't care. It's canceled. Well, I don't care if it's canceled. Here, take my check. Can't. There's no debt upon which this man could be held responsible. Whether he accepts it, likes it, is irrelevant. Sin debt. Now, Jesus says in Colossians 2.13, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And then in verse 14, he says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees, which was hostile to us, he took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The certificate of debt in Greek is a single Greek word, keragraphon, and it means a handwritten IOU of legal indebtedness. So this word kerographon only occurs right there in the entire Bible, right there once, just once. And that, therefore, it's a hopax legomena, a word that occurs only once in a body of text. 
So Jesus canceled out the certificate of debt. What debt? The sin debt. When did he cancel it? As the text says, at the cross. There's not, it's not canceled when you believe. Not canceled when you believe. It's canceled at the cross. That's what the text says. Now, people could not like it, but they don't have to like it. Now, when I ask people, was it canceled at the cross? They, or I ask them, when's it canceled? Most people say, when you believe. Let's go through the text again. Maybe I'll put the text in uh, so people can see it. <clears throat> but uh, the, the Bible says uh, specifically that the sin debt, or that we can go to the sin debt or the law, either way it works, in, uh, it's fine. But this is what it says in Colossians 2.14. Here we go. Um, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So when was it taken out of the way? When was it canceled? At the cross. It's not when you believe. Now, here's a question. Who was it canceled for? Everybody ever lived? If it was canceled for everybody ever lived, then nobody could go to, to uh, hell. People then would say, well, but you got to accept it. No, you don't. You don't have to accept it. You accept it or not, it doesn't make any difference. Because if there's no sin debt to you, for you, period, accept it or not is irrelevant. It, there's, there's no sin debt. You can't go to hell whether you accept this payment or not. The accepting it doesn't make it valid. The accepting it doesn't make it real. The accepting it doesn't make it actual. What it makes it actual is the blood of Christ that actually cancels our sin debt on the cross, Colossians 2.14. And so if someone were to say that Jesus actually canceled the certificate of debt on the cross, and yet they go to hell, then they're accusing God of unrighteousness because they're saying that Jesus paid all the sin debt. It's canceled. There is no sin debt against anybody. And yet people go to hell anyway. Well, that's not righteous. That's not righteous. That would be cause accusing God of unrighteousness. We can't have that. So. Since the sin debt's canceled at the cross, then who's it canceled for? Everybody who ever lived? Obviously not. Can't be canceled for everybody who ever lived. It can only be canceled for those whom God imputed our sin to Christ, and he bore our sin in his body in the cross. And he died with it. Now, some people will come back and say, man, he died for the whole world. Where's that? Oh, John 3, 16, God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Yes, he loved the world. What does the word world mean? You go to Matthew 15, 24. Jesus says he does not was not sent to the whole world. He was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jews always understood that the Messiah was coming only for Israel, not for the whole world, all the nations. But John 3, 16 we have better knowledge, better understanding. Jesus says, God shall love the world, all the nation groups, all the people groups, and everything else. And um, we also know that uh, I mean, people will also go to 1 John 2, 2. He's a propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. See, there's the word world again. That's what it's talking about. A propitiation is actually the sacrifice that turns away wrath. It doesn't make it possible. It actually accomplishes it. If they want to say that the whole world is propitiated, then it means that the whole world has no sin debt held against it. First John 2, 2 actually is support for limited atonement, not universal atonement. Finally, I ask people, when have you died? Have you died? You know, most Christians will say yes, or some say, say no. They understand that we've died with Christ, Romans 6, 8. We're crucified with Christ, Romans 6, 6. We have died to sin, Romans 6, 1. And um, Romans 7, 4, for example, 1 through 4. You can go to Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 5, and it talks about those who have died to the world. We know that the Bible teaches that only Christians have died to sin, died to the world, died to uh, their, their selves, and things like that, because only the Christians have died with Christ. 
First Corinthians 15, 22 says, in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, an interesting verse is Romans 5, 18, which says, in the NSB, the only correctly translated uh, version on that, and I can go into that if you guys want. But in Romans 5, 18, it says, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all people. So also, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Now, wait a minute. How can you have justification, which means you're saved? How can you have justification resulting to all men? Well, um, I misquoted it earlier. It's not all people in, in the first part of the verse. It's all men. But pantas <clears throat> anthropus. And so it means all men, you know, justific justification of all men. You can't have all people be justified. So the other translations, they soften it because they don't understand biblical theology in that area. But nevertheless, so my final verse here to bring this up and uh, hopefully lasso this cow and bring it down um is that uh, you go to Colossians? excuse me second corinthians 5 14 the love of christ controls us having concluded this that one died for all therefore all died now since we know that the bible says the only ones who died with christ are the christians the believers we never find any place in scripture where it says the unbelievers have died with christ or died to sin etc he died for all therefore all died who's the all who died the all who died are only the elect, who were represented by Christ because he was their federal head, Romans 7, 7 through uh, 12, or 10, actually. First Corinthians 15, 22, Romans 5, 18, talk about his federal headship aspect, his relationship, and uh, we were, were represented by him. So anyway, limited atonement is a necessary doctrine of uh, truth when you understand the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Christ out of Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, where he bore our sin in his body in the cross, 1 Peter 2, 24. Sin is a legal debt that's transferred. It was imputed to him, 1 Peter 2, 24. When he became sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And um, there's a 21. <clears throat> and finished uh, the atonement on the cross, John 19, 30, when he said, it is finished. And since Jesus equated sin with debt, and our Father who art in heaven, you know, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts. <clears throat> Luke uh, eleven twelve and uh, yeah, eleven four and six, uh, Matthew six twelve, respectively. Uh, then we could, it makes sense then to say that uh, Jesus only canceled the sin debt of the elect. Not everybody ever lived; otherwise, we'd have universalism. There you go. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> Just a Vincent has a, has a question chat, and this this picture matches just to show you that I can't get dressed up here. You know. <laughs> I, Finally, I, for once in your life, you look good. Yeah, now that 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 one looks a little bit better. I'm not I'm not looking like as I was told. I was told in this picture that I look like a mafioso. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, actually, you're, you're pointing to a guy to, to have a, a hit run on him. Yeah. Actually, I, it was kind of interesting. I was uh, told that. Um, Someone said that my entire family looks like the mafia. And I was like, well, yeah, that is part of our family. <laughs> so, uh, but Vincent had a, had a, a thing, Vincent, you had it in chat. Why don't you just go ahead and ask? I had it in chat. Yeah. yeah. You put a son in chat about the church. is. Oh true. yeah. Well, I'm just saying, you know, biblical truth that the uh, church is the true Israel. The church is true Israel. Okay, I thought me had a question there. Well, it kind of was just going on what he, <clears throat> Matt was saying. Okay, do you, you have any questions for Matt since he came in? Uh, give me a minute. All right. 
Well, while you get a, come up with yours, and, and folks who want to join, you can go to apologeticslive.com. The link is there. It says click here to join. <clears throat> Another question we got for you, Matt, is, and, and I'm not sure if this is so much a question or a statement, but, um, and I'll read it as it says it, showing guaranteed healing is now not the in the atonement of Christ or other ways to reach people that believe the prosperity gospel. Not, I think the question, I think what they're trying to say is, is um, since, since guarantee of healing is not uh, proof of atonement of Christ, um, is there other ways to reach people that believe in the prosperity gospel movement? How I'm well, you, one of the things you can do is go to uh, Matthew eight seventeen. A lot of people don't know about this verse, Matthew eight seventeen. Um, and I'll read a little bit ahead of it, uh, the context. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. Now, this is before he's crucified. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed uh, all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And what they, they usually say is this happened in the atonement. But right there in Matthew eight seventeen, it demonstrates that um, it happened before the atonement. So it's not a guaranteed thing in the atonement. So they got that wrong. And another uh, verse that really sticks in their craw is... Um, I'm going to start at Exodus 4.10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So, um, this that's a that's a monkey wrench in the prosperity gospel. Uh, you, you just you throw it out there, theological uh, gearings, and you hear it go, and then they they just panic trying to figure out how to make sense of it. But those are just two of the verses. Then other ones I don't have memorized where Paul left people um, sick, Jesus didn't heal people because of their lack of faith and things like this. Then we can get into some other issues, but um, those are just some of the verses that you can go to and, and witness to them. So. Prosperity gospel, for most folks are familiar with it, but um, I know that you have spoken out against this quite a bit. Why do you think that the prosperity gospel and its offshoots are such a dangerous thing to Christianity? Because it's humanism, self-centeredism, diaperinianism. It's, it's, it's a hammock theology. And in a hammock, you sit and relax. You don't do anything. You're to be catered to. And this is the idea that is unfortunately very prominent in America because in America we have so many amenities and privileges that um, that we're used to being comforted. And so we gather to ourselves teachers that tickle our ears and tell us what you want to hear. And what we want to hear is I'm healthy, wealthy, good looking, really smart. I'm going to live forever and I deserve a new car. And people like to hear that, so they go. And along with that is a shift from other-centeredness to self-centeredness. And, and instead of carrying out the gospel and working for that and living for the gospel message, then what happens is the prosperity gospel is the thing that is preached. 
and that the cross saves you from your sins. But did you also know that you get wealth and health, and that becomes a gospel? So the prosperity gospel supplants the true gospel, um, not in every case, because people are different, and some people uh, will preach a true gospel, but it has that problem. So I know a guy who uh, is in Redding, California, and there's Bethel Church out there. And uh, so a friend of mine and I went out there last year, year two years ago, to do a bit of research. And um, anyway, this guy was telling me, I won't say who he is, but uh, he was telling me that uh, some of the evangelist-trained uh, uh, youth, and I'm not talking 12-year-olds, we're talking early 20s, that kind of range, 20-somethings, and um, that they, uh, they were preaching the gospel and to receive Christ, you know, ask them in your heart. And this guy said, what does it mean? What is the gospel? What's the biblical definition of the gospel? And they didn't know. What they were preaching was you're supposed to be healthy and wealthy and successful, and you want a prayer, you want a healing. Is that what you want, a healing and um, and stuff? So it was like that. It was problematic, and it still is. And what ends up happening is it, it I think, it takes the focus off of Christ and puts it on yeah. itself, which is a big problem. Yeah, it does. Yes, it does. So we got a uh, – before we go, there's uh, uh, someone that um, – Physio, I think I'm saying it right, physio, atheist. Before we get to him, Matt, we'll, let's take a word from, or give a word for our sponsor, MyPillow. Um, you and I both enjoy these pillows. Oh, yeah. Much. Yeah. And we just actually got one of our listeners who went out and, well, we have two listeners that went out and got it and wasn't sure, didn't believe me, that is it really that good? And after one night of sleep, he sent me a, a text and said, yes, it really is that good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love my pillow. <laughs> I do too. I you love know, it. Yeah. It's, it's, I go travel. I take it with me. This I, is, they're not paying us for this. I mean, I'm not getting any money out of it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I didn't like the pillow. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the thing is, is that what we end up seeing is, you know, I travel with it. You travel with it. It is, yeah. It is a great pillow, especially if, if you're a type of person who, you know, does have issues with sleep. Um, it's great. Uh, someone's saying, I wish I could afford a MyPillow. Um, they do. They, there is a way to get some discounts, and one is to use the number that we have so that you can get a discount. And they have some where you can get a couple of them. I think, I think they, I don't know if they're still doing the sale uh, where you can get four for the price of two, but um, if you want to get a MyPillow, you can call 1-800-944-5396. That's 1-800-944-5396 and get a MyPillow and you will agree with Matt and I that your sleep will be different. It will improve your sleep. So I'm going to bring in, I think he's, he or she's name is physio, or at least it's hard for me to read from that distance, physio atheist. So you're here if you can, you want to unmute and uh, ask whatever question you have. Uh, sure. Can, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. perfect. Okay. Uh, uh-oh. 
I don't know if there's a delay, if you have a delay there or something. If you're, if you're trying to listen on, if you're trying to listen to it on YouTube, there's going to be a delay. Uh, so you want to listen to it just right here. But we can hear you. You know what? I'm going to, sorry, this would be sound a little bit rude. I'm going to use a restroom and I'm mute, but I'm, I'll be listening. Oh, no, but, don't. Uh, mute. No, yeah. Why? I have, you know, I've been waiting, but. Uh, <laughs> So, you take an opportunity. This show starts. You know, I'm, I'm going to get in. I know, but I'm going to get in. <laughs> I had a lot, lot to drink right before I, I got uh, on. a lot of liquid. So, uh, I had okay. a big. I juiced a big pineapple a day, and I was drinking it. So, at any rate, uh, just keep talking. I'll, I'll hear you. <laughs> okay. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> so professional. <laughs> look, yeah. look, Matt Slick has been raptured. Look, we can see an empty chair. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, right. he, he didn't leave his clothes behind, so we can't. <laughs> well, that's probably good. It's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Lizio, you have a, you have a question. Can you, I don't know if you're having technical issues. If, if you are, maybe leave a note in chat and we ask the question there. If we heard you before. Yeah. Something happened. All right. All right. Then I will. Add in uh, physio if you if you get that worked out, uh, let us know. He he dropped out, so he's probably going to come back in. We'll come back to him and uh, added Edison um, into the hangout. So Edison, you can unmute yourself and uh, ask whichever questions you may have tonight. You have to actually unmute. I wonder if I can unmute you. Let's see. I could try to unmute you. I guess I can't. Edison, if you can unmute yourself. All right. Can, can you hear me? Yes, yes, we hear you now. Uh, yes, sir. Hi, it's me. Um, I'm your friend from the Philippines, Cebu. Oh, did we meet in the Philippines? No, no, I was uh, calling your show, I think, last okay. November 2. Okay. Okay. Or, so what do you... Yeah, oh, November 1. Uh, that was November 1. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I was uh, a former KJV only. Um, okay. you, you call that, I don't know, fundamentalist, Baptist. Um, yeah. But I have um, already um, come to the Reformed faith. Um, I have uh, thankful for people like John Piper um, and John MacArthur as well. And of course, you are one of my best resources in terms of um, apologetics. Good. Because right these guys are only good for um, um, enlightenment or clarifying things, but they're not good in defending the faith. Um, they're good in exhortation and encouraging, but uh, your materials are very good in terms of um, defending the faith. I do, however, have a question, uh, Brother sure. Matt, if you don't mind. Sure. Yes, sir. Um, I have a friend, uh, a KJV-only friend, and he, of course, they're anti-Calvinist. And uh, I quoted him because he doesn't believe on um, election and predestination. Mm -hmm. So I quoted him Ephesians chapter 1, okay. verse number, of course, verse number 4. 
Mm-hmm. And it says here, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless without spot. So it says here in verse 5 as well, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ or by Christ Jesus. He contested that, that he said that this letter um, from verse 1 all the way up to verse 13, this is not uh, intended for the Gentiles or for the Ephesian churches. He said this is only for the Ephesian, I uh, know, for the Jewish people, because he said that there's a transition in verse number, I think that's verse number 12. No, no, verse number 13. It says here, in whom ye also trusted. So this is now referring to the Ephesian believers. So also trusted, that's in verse 13. He said that, from verse 1 to verse 12, it was referring to the apostles and not verse thir- uh, not the Ephesians. I told him, that's a violation of a um, okay. writing an epistle. Because uh, Paul, an apostle of right. Jesus Christ, to the Ephesians, or to the Ephesians, how could it be to the 12 apostles? And, you know, he's kind of a, he's a little bit um, sticking on the verse 13 that says, ye also trusted I'd like to hear what your comment on that, please. And thank you, and God bless your ministry, brother. Well, it's, you said a lot, so I'm not exactly sure what the question is. Um, so it was so much. She said this and that, and then and this verse and that verse. So uh, uh, it was, you said I was a lot. A, I'm sorry. I, I the, I'm sorry. That's okay. I understand the gist. Give me one verse at a time and say, he says this about that verse. And then, then let's tackle yes. it that way. Yes, sir. Um, he said that um, verse 1 all the way up to verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 1 right. does not apply to the Gentiles or let even the Ephesians. Okay. So it doesn't apply to Gentiles. Because, so then then just to look at it, uh, you were dead yeah, in your yeah. trespasses and sins. That, that that doesn't apply to the Gentiles? Or you formerly walked in the course of the world at of the power there that does not uh, apply to the Gentiles. I just, you know, ask him. This doesn't apply to them. He's going to have to say this because he's going to want to deny, um, deny uh, verse four, you know, verse various things. Yeah, I'm thinking ahead, but um, so in his great love, which he loved us. Who's the us? Because uh, you know, that's that, that's Paul talking. So he's going to say it's not the Gentiles. Is that what he's going to say yeah. there? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, then I would go and I'd say, "What about Ephesians two eight and nine? Or say by grace through faith? Does that apply to us?" I mean, let's ask questions and see what he says. Because if it does apply there, you know, in Ephesians two eight nine, is by grace that we're saved. Um, is it not the same grace that uh, in verse five, Ephesians one five, even we were dead in our trespasses, transgressions, made us alive together with uh, with Christ by grace you have been saved. So. If 1 through 12 is not about the Gentiles, but the other verses are, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, then why is the same phraseology used of both? And I would just ask him, mm. let's see what he says. And he says, he raised us up with him and seated us up on the right hand. Now, he's saying this is not about the Gentiles, right? This first section of Scripture mm-hmm. not. Okay. Okay. So the ages have come, not boasts of works. Remember, you were formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, you were circumcised. So he says it's not about the Gentiles, but verse 11 says you, the Gentiles in the flesh. Mm. So 
maybe you should do that advanced apologetic uh, thing technique where you slap them upside the head. <laughs> says right there. Uh, re therefore, remember that you formerly, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were formerly called, you know, mm. so that if he's, if he's saying is 1 through 12 is not about the Gentiles, I mean, that right there refutes it. So by looking at a text. Yeah. Uh, actually, he was referring to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 12. Uh, doesn't apply to the Gentiles. Does not. Because... Oh, verse 11 is in there, and verse 11 says, You the Gentiles. He's wrong. <laughs> uh, because he says it's verse. Mm -hmm. In verse 1? Are you there? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, it seems that there's a. There's a bad reception in my end. That's okay. That's okay. No problem. But it does, you know, he, since he says 1 through 12, well, verse 11 speaks, says he's talking to the Gentiles. He says, remember, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentile, that's who he's talking to the whole time. So it's about the Gentiles. Yes. So, I mean, it is by reading through it. Yeah. So he's, he's wrong <laughs> there. If you really want to, you All know, right. get this guy, go to Colossians 2.14. Okay. Colossians uh -huh. two fourteen is really a problem uh, for these guys because of what it says. Um, it says uh, Jesus, you know, talk about Jesus having canceled the certificate of debt. I'm looking for my King James version here on my computer. I, I uh, redid my go computer. To, go to karm.org and uh, there's a whole King James there. Yeah, just saying. That's true. I know, but why can I find it so easily? I have to do it this way. Anyway, so uh, it says he canceled the certificate of debt. Uh, what you have to ask him is, what is the certificate of debt? Uh, I think in the King James it says um, the handwriting of ordinances, I think is what it says in Colossians 2.14. Is that what it says? Yes, blotting out the, or the handwritings of the ordinances. Okay, there we go, King James. I got it. So uh, beware, uh, Colossians 2.14. So look at verse 13, though. Uh, he hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all, or forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances uh, that is up against us. And ask him, what is the handwriting of ordinances that's against us, which mm -hmm. is contrary to us? Um, there's only two possibilities. One is the sin debt. The other is the law itself. Now, if it's the sin debt, then you ask him, when is it canceled? When is it blotted out? And the verse says, at the cross. And you have to ask him who it's blotted out for. Everybody? Because if it's blotted out for everybody, then nobody can go to hell. Because there is no sin debt. Oh. Okay? All right. Period. If he says yes. the handwriting of ordinances means the law, and you go to Romans 5.13, for until... The law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So if the handwriting of ordinances is the law, and Jesus canceled at the cross, then there is no law, and sin cannot be imputed. Sin cannot be reckoned to the unbeliever. Either way, he can't get out of this. And the point mm -hmm. is that it only makes sense if he canceled it for the ones that, that are chosen by God in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Plus, don't if you're writing this down, 
but you can go to John 6, 37. Mm-hmm. I'll read it in the King James. All that the Father ha- or giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For, um, And this is what it says, all that the Father giveth me, all. And he says, mm-hmm. oh, man. Oh, I actually hit my speech program on and it made it go. Hold on, John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me will in no wise cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the will of the Father of the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. And you can ask him, who's the all who are given to Jesus by the Father? That's, I don't know if you're following this, but yes, I follow. Who's the all? And he's going to have to say something like, well, the ones who believe great. So he won't lose any, right? They can't lose their salvation either. Can they? Because if yes. he says, I'll lose nothing so that, you know, so you can yes. see how the combination of much of this stuff, he's going to be swimming backwards because King James only is yes. legalists. And I've, I've not known any of them uh, who believe in eternal security. doesn't mean they don't exist. I just haven't known any. So, <laughs> yeah, that it's a me? very good. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. The Colossians uh, actually is a good um, um, defense for limited atonement. Oh, it, it is uh, very good. Yeah, it is it's a, a good very defense. powerful verse. Yes, I use it all the time. It's my favorite verse. In my opinion, Colossians two fourteen proves limited atonement and unconditional election and perseverance of the saints. Three out of the five. In my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt, why, well, why don't you go through and explain why, how it does all those three? Well, limited atonement I just explained because it only makes sense if you cancel the sin debt or cancel the law for people. Either way, you can't have sin imputed to you. Period. It's gone. So it could not be that it's for everybody because people go to hell. Mark 3.29, Matthew 25.46, uh, Revelation 4.11. We know people go to hell. So it cannot be logically that he canceled the sin debt for everybody who ever, ever lived, hence limited atonement. Uh, unconditional election means that Jesus canceled the sin debt for a group of people, the ones that were given to him by the Father, obviously John 6. But in there, it's not for everybody. Well, then who's it for? It's obviously not for everybody. So who's the not for everybody? It's the one that God has chosen to atone them for because he didn't do it for everybody. So he did specifically for a small group. And then perseverance of the saints, because if you sin debts, if your sin debts canceled at the cross, then all of your sins canceled at the cross. You can't lose your salvation because the sin debt doesn't exist anymore. You can't go to hell. So you see? Yes. Yes. It's a definite atonement to those who are elect. I'm sorry, what? It's a, it's a definite atonement to those who are chosen. Yes, definite atonement. That's right. It makes perfect sense. And I could go on and, and go through more, but I think that's, that, you know, that's good enough. I mean, yes. there's just a lot of yeah, stuff there. And I have on uh, Amazon, it doesn't work very well on Kindle, um, but a file, I got to Kindleize it. There's too much outline, so it's just not going to work. It's too uh, small to reformat the whole thing. Anyway, we have a whole bunch of notes on Calvinism there. And I have another website called Calvinist Corner, and um, hmm. you can uh, go there. And check things All out. All right. Well, yes, sir. Well, um, it's been nice talking to you, Brother Matt, and uh, sure. God bless you and with your ministry together with CARM.org. Uh, God bless the people that are working with you, and you have a nice day, okay? Hey, Edison, you. before you take off, uh, let me give you a date. Hey. 
let me give you a date, May 28th. Uh, in May 28th, both myself and Justin Peters will be in Cebu for a, a seminar that we're doing, uh, uh, basically dealing with some of the um, some of the false teachers and things like that. I don't know if you're familiar with Justin Peters, but he and I will both be oh. we're going to Manila for uh, a week conference, and then we're coming into Cebu. I th- I believe it's the 28th is the is the conference. It may start actually on the 27th. So uh, stay tuned here, and as we get more of the details, I- I'll let you know. It would be great to to meet you when we're out at Cebu. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, I'll be keeping in tune, and I also um, I'm listening to your podcast, uh, the audio version of this uh, program. Mm-hmm. That's and that's a good plug. I should mention that because I don't know. I forget to mention that, that <laughs> uh, this show that we do becomes a podcast that you can search for Apologetics Live. Uh, I, I'll give you a couple of podcasts folks should be listening to. One is you could do a search for either Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. Or you could just search for Matt Slick. That'll get you the Matt Slick live show that Matt does um, every uh, Monday through Friday. He does a live one-hour show answering questions, a call-in show. Uh, Apologetics Live is this one here. That'll be a podcast that's part of the Christian podcast community. Uh, And then my podcast, The Rap Report. My last name, Rappaport. Uh, It's not about rap music, but this week it will be, actually. This Sunday we'll talk about rap music. Actually, the the dailies, we've been going through uh, the book of Jude, looking at false teachers. How to identify false teachers like Matt Slick. And uh, Whoa, whoa, <laughs> I heard that. Oh, man. Actually, that wouldn't be because one of the points of a, of a false teacher is you can always see that they're, they, they focus on money and trying to uh, make money for themselves. And anyone that knows Matt knows he's just broke all the time. So. <laughs> and it's not because he's buying other people dinner. Cause <laughs> yeah, I got to work it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but, uh, what's your name from uh, Edison. Uh, Edison? I put uh, a couple of paragraphs in from notes on uh, limited atonement and penal substitutionary atonement, or uh, so you can check it out. Are those links? Uh, from, yes. Is those links from Carmet? Is that no? Those are from my uh, my outlines on Calvinism. Okay, so so that is something that people can get on Amazon. Uh, to get that book, mm-hmm. uh, your notes on Calvinism. Actually, you can, uh, that's hard copy too, not just Kindle, right? Think yeah, the Kindle was not very good because there's so many. It's it's out. The whole thing is just outlines. That's what, that's how I I do my notes when I, I prepare for debates and stuff. Just go quick to it, and um, so I, these these notes are 83 pages long, 40,000 words. So uh, it doesn't fit on Kindle because you have all the indent indentation. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But uh, anyway, let the people know. But you can order it, and it's in English, of course, and a lot of stuff. And I'm working on the version, too. It'll be ready in a couple, three years, just as I slowly add stuff, even more. So All right, a lot so of stuff, man. So, Edison, I do hope to see you in May. Then when I'm, when I'm in your, your neck of the woods, I'll be a lot closer to <laughs> Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that and um, hope to see you here uh, to finally see you guys. I've been um, reading your articles in calm.org and been listening Good. to your podcast. Good, man. Your podcast is uh, very nice. Um, yeah, keeping the saints. Good. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll drop off. I'll keep on listening. And you guys, you have a nice day, okay? Okay. Thank you, Edison. All right. Uh, All right. 
So, John or Vincent, I don't know if you guys had a question or anything. Or Andrew. Uh, yeah, I'll let Andrew ask it. If not, um, I, I do have something I wanted to bring up as far as um, from earlier I, I posted on uh, the, the, uh, the council about the um, the Mormons <laughs> and all that. Quick plug there. This is I've been reading this and dealing with uh, the um, the Mormon Church and uh, just reading alone just the outline or not the outline but the um, the introduction of the uh, the Book of Mormon and, and just trying to I don't know just trying to figure out some of the inconsistencies that that uh, Joseph Smith made um, and it's it's. I am just blown away at how some people just take his word for what he says. Um, but I was reading several articles um, concerning about this and just how there's so many Mormons out there right now that are uh, confused and, and misled by a lot of even just some of the stuff that even the Mormon church teaches were, you know, I saw this one uh, description where they were showing, uh, pictures of um, Joseph Smith, uh, you know, reading and studying and all that kind of stuff when it comes to deciphering his, um, you know, all these paintings, you know, these pictures of him, you know, deciphering and, and translating the, uh, the Book of Mormon uh, from the hieroglyphics. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that, that, that all those images were completely false, whereas... Mm -hmm he was really doing was looking through a hat <laughs> with uh with the cedar stone inside the hat or something and it was very odd how even mormons were like just like oh yeah i guess yeah he looked through the the hat for the cedar stone um uh to to, to point out like just stuff like um well, I mean, when in the Book of Mormon, in the, in the the introduction of it, it says the book was written by many ancient prophets by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Um, and I just thought that that was a rather vague description of the original writers, and they don't have any kind of historical information <laughs> or, or or text or anything of who these people were. And I just. I always kind of wondered, it's like, why aren't people like figuring this out? You know, why, why don't they just ask questions about this obvious problem <laughs> that, that they have? I, I'm always perplexed as to why they don't. You're reformed, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got your answer. Yeah. Total depravity. They're going to believe a lie. Well, I mean, let me, let me bring up one of the things that John brought up because it's kind of an interesting one. And, and for folks who are listening on the audio podcast, John, you're referring to my book, What Do, we, what do They Believe with the Section on Mormonism. But you're bringing up this whole uh, scroll of Abraham. Now, Matt, you're, you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Sure. So um, that's a really interesting one. Could, could you go into some detail what the scroll of Abraham was and why you know, now that we have a Rosetta Stone, why that's such a, a problem for Mormonism? 
Yeah, um, I forgot exactly what year, but uh, it was a few years before Joseph Smith was murdered, and he was murdered. A, a traveling uh, show was going through the area with papyri, Egyptian papyri, legitimate papyri, and Egyptian mummies. And, you know, for a nickel, whatever it would be, uh, you can come in and take a look at him inside of a tent and things like that. Well, Mormonism had already begun at that point, and so Joseph Smith said, hey, these papyri are the Book of Abraham. So they paid, I think, around $2,000 to this guy and bought the Book of Abraham papyri. And then Joseph Smith translated them with the same power he did the Book of Mormon by taking a, a seer stone, which is supposedly one of the stones from the uh, Urim and Thummim, the high priest of Israel. And you got to remember, uh, Adamandai, Adam, Adamandai is, is uh, in other words, the Garden of Eden is in Missouri according to uh, Mormonism. And so the high priest, I don't know how they got over here with the stone out in, uh, in into New York area. But at any rate, so uh, he would uh, put the stone into a hat and put the uh, hat around his face and then one letter at a time. And he would say the, the letter translated to his assistant, Oliver Cowdery, who would then write it down one letter at a time. And this is how the Book of Mormon was translated, supposedly, uh, from the golden plates. And... Um, so uh, Joseph Smith said that he translated the Book of Abraham, these Egyptian papyri, by the exact same methodology. Well, the Egyptian hieroglyphics had not been broken yet in the sense that, that they had not been deciphered. They, was, they didn't know how to, how to read them until the Rosetta Stone in 1880s, 1890s was discovered, had uh, what Greek and something and hieroglyphics, and they were equal so the, anyway, we gave them the clue, and the linguists were able to break the uh, the code and understand hieroglyphics. So then the Mormon church said, hey, and Mormons said, hey, we'll prove to you that the uh, book of Abraham is really translated by the power of God. The problem was that the actual papyri that Joseph Smith had bought was lost. So now there's no way to validate it. Well... In 1966 or 67, the papyri was discovered in a basement in a library, forgot where. And uh, it is the exact same papyri. The Mormon Church admits it is. It has um, uh, Joseph Smith's handwriting on the back. I mean, it is. And so um, they uh, translated, the Egyptologists translated it and discovered that it had ab so absolutely nothing to do with what Joseph Smith said it was. It was actually a book of breathings of the dead. Um, and it, he didn't even come close by guessing in what things meant. And then he, there, in some of the places in the papyri, there are pictures that were drawn on the original papyri. And through decay, uh, some of the areas of some of the pictures were, or the drawings were gone. So Joseph Smith filled them in, and the Egyptologists were able to recognize that it was filled in. Well, that's not what how it's really done. He, he got that wrong, too. So the Mormon church responded by saying it's reformed hieroglyphics. Reformed hieroglyphics is uh, exactly the same as normal hieroglyphics. It just means something different. And so uh, there's no evidence of any reformed hieroglyphics. So they eventually kind of dropped that idea, took a few decades. And um, now the prevailing theory is that the Book of Abraham was just, you know, it's just a motivation. It was just a tool that God used to, to bring inspiration, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where they're at now. And basically, the Book of Abraham papyri proves that Joseph Smith lied proves it flat out proves it if you want more information on this just go get the book um by their own hands upon papyri i forgot who it's by 
on their own hands by, uh, by papyri, uh, upon papyri. Or you can go to CARM and look up Book of Abraham Papyri. And I took that book and I condensed it in about four or six pages and just condensed it. So you can just read through and you'll see the stuff. What, what's that link on that one again, Matt? Let me see if I can find it. Um, on CARM, I'll find it. That one would be good. Yeah, I mean, because because I know I have had some LDS who will say that um, the Rosetta Stone is wrong, that Joseph Smith, and this kind of <laughs> what John was really saying, right? They say Joseph really? Smith got it right, and it is all these you know, Rosetta Stones that are wrong. And the Rosetta Stone being that we have the hieroglyphics in other languages that we do know side by side in a parallel. So we really? were able to, you know, compare them, but uh, it's all the others that are wrong. Well, you know, um, back when I was still in San Diego, Charlie gave Charlie has, has, uh, as usual, Charlie's oh, he beat me. Yeah, he always does. Charlie's spine. Yeah, he, he beat me. I just put it in there. He's good. But, uh, if you go to karm.org slash book dash Abraham dash papyri dash and dash Joseph dash Smith. So just search for uh, book of Abraham uh, papyri and Joseph Smith and you'll get it. Yeah. Um, so before I moved here, I was in San Diego and uh, I got a call from a woman and she um, was a Mormon and she, we're talking and she's very cautious Oh, and she's, but she had, you know, called me and I, I knew something was up. So I, I was very patient and she was feeling me out, so to speak. And, and, uh, she said, I'm, I'm from the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. I said, okay. And she paused <laughs> and she says, um, I've been doing some studying. I go, okay. And she says, my habit is, a st- I do, I'm fascinated with the Egyptian hieroglyphics. And I went, uh Oh, here we go. And she said, I've been studying it for 11 years now. And I says, and I knew what was going to happen. And she says, um, I said, Book of Abraham, right? She said, yeah. And there's this pause. And I said, so what do you think? She said, uh, he was wrong. I wow. Said, uh-huh. What are you going to do? She goes, I don't know. And it was about the end of the conversation. She kind of just dropped out. You know, it was, it was upsetting. that she, she found out that Joseph Smith lied. So Matt, one of the things that, as you know, Bill McKeever brings up a bunch, right? The there are plenty of folks who end up, you know, we we see they they find out the Mormon Church is wrong. Um, many of them actually turn to atheism instead of Christianity. Why do you think that is? Because they trust their feelings. See, Mormonism is a, is a, a religion of feelings. And I recommend that what Christians do is let the Mormon missionaries come in your house, get them, give you a lesson, and just notice uh, how they're going to say, how do you feel about this? And this, the feeling is very important. So what th- that means is truth, God's truth, is subjected to your preferences. And this is the deception, and this is the sin in it. Instead of trusting God's revealed word, inspired word, the Bible, they're now trusting everything by feelings. No, it's the Holy Spirit giving you the feeling. How do you know? Because you feel it's the Holy Spirit giving you the feeling. That's how you know, right? So it's just uh, it's a problem. And so when they lose faith in their feelings, then emotionally, they're done for. And it's a very difficult thing to come out of a cult and emotionally be devastated by it. You To protect yourself and heal emotionally, a lot of times you give up on everything and become atheistic in this sense. And it happens a lot inside of Mormonism when they leave. And then 
we were finding that um, they start getting interested in God again after a couple, three, four years. And then they start looking and things like that. A lot of them become, uh, well, some become Christians. I actually want to do, do some work to try and reach out to those people in, um, in Mormonism who leave. And uh, Lynn Wilder, uh, I talked to her. I don't know if you know who she is. She was an ex-BYU professor with tenure. And uh, she and her husband and family were all Mormons. And Adams Road is uh, their group and stuff, their music group. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I was talking to Lynn about all this. And I said, hey, uh, when she was here at the house last year, I said, what do you think about, um, you know, you and I writing a book? Uh, you know Mormonism from the feeling side inside. I know the doctrine. And we could write something about those who are leaving Mormonism. And, and you get top billing, I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. Uh, or I'll just help you, but uh, wouldn't mind, not, you know, mind a mention or something like that. But at any rate, uh, maybe co-write something. She liked the idea. And so, but she's been super busy. So we haven't gotten to do it yet, but I think it's a good idea. You know, and you and I both have a chapter in the book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, which is a great book on evangelism to Mormons. In that book, your chapter deals with a topic that I love, right? It's a, I have a chapter in my book on what do, what do we believe on biblical reliability. Why do you think it was so important to have a chapter on biblical reliability in a book about tactics on how to share the gospel with Mormons? Because you have to base something on, a, on the truth. You need a standard. If you have a meter yardstick meter yardstick in order to measure something if you don't trust the the uh, yardstick so to speak um then you can't trust what any judgments come off by measurement and that's how it is so what the enemy does is try and doubt god's word genesis 3 1 through 6 talks about that um where uh, satan said did eve did god really say doubting god's word so we have to defend the reliability and the accuracy of the word of god um, because if we don't do that, it's just one more excuse for people to deny the truth of God's word as inspiration. So in Mormonism, um, it says in uh, History of the Church of Blinds 4, page 461, the Book of Mormon is the most correct book of any on earth. It make it closer to the precepts of God by trusting it than by any other book. So it, it supplants the Bible. And the Bible is correctly uh, correct insofar as it's correctly translated. That's the eighth article of the Mormon church. So um, they they undermine the reliability of the scriptures so that they can put something else into it, the contradiction of God's word, and then the result is death. In fact, which I find interesting when I talk about this very thing, so a personal experience I had, and it's a very mild one. But I was with my wife, we were shopping 15, 20 years ago, and I'm pushing the cart around. And I was thinking about all of this, about uh, Mormonism and the fall and how they said now they say that the fall is necessary and it's a fall upward because with the fall, only then can we have the possibility, potential of exaltation. And um, and, it, and it occurred to me, I did, this sentence just popped in my head because they celebrated the fall because that is what enables the plan of salvation and exaltation of Godhood uh, to be possible. And it occurred to me, only the ungodly celebrate sin and i was standing at sitting there look at the card it's just like a revelation for me you know it's like only the ungodly celebrate sin and they were celebrating the fall by which they can become gods and it was just so i said to my wife go neek listen i just i told her she's like uh-huh 
That's good. <laughs> that's, really, that's really good. And I said, but you, you know, but, but she goes, uh huh. She's used to that from me about this. Hey, I heard about that, about this little thing, and she's like, uh huh. Until we're done. Pass me the Cheerios over there, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. So uh, I, I want to we'll go to a commercial right after that, Matt. I, I want to so, because you're we're talking Mormonism th- things. You have a recent article that would play into this with who are the children of God. So uh, right after this commercial, why don't we discuss that? Sure. Ding dong. Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong. Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth. But it is very wise to know what they believe. And you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdothebelieve.com. All right. So so with Mormons, Matt, they often come up to this issue that we're all children of God. You recently wrote an article on CARM asking the question, who are the children of God? So let me ask that of you. Who are the children of God? Christians. <laughs> Can you support that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love pulling teeth with from Matt. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna come in here with a pair of pliers and just reach in. Oh, me- you want me to expound on that? Oh, have, well, in that case, um, yeah, I wrote an article, and if you guys are interested, you can check it out. Hey, I beat Charlie. <laughs> um, and the phrase children of God only occurs 10 times, at least in the NASB. And I looked at every single instance and it's referring to Christians. That's all. But when the Mormons say children of God, they, they mean literally the children of God, because in Mormonism, God is an exalted man from another planet. And he brought one of his wives with them from that planet to this planet. She's a goddess. And they um, are, she's about six feet tall. They have genitalia. They go, <laughs> and make spirit babies in heaven. And then the spirit babies inhabit human bodies here on earth. And you become a god of your own planet kind of a thing. Super short version. So when they say we're the children of God, they mean literally God and his wife. <laughs> That's the technical term. For and actually, okay, yeah. so, so this might blow some people's minds who aren't familiar with Mormonism. Mormonism teaches that God the Father was a man on another planet who sinned. He was a sinful well, could have said They don't know if he did for sure. Yeah, well, many, you know, okay. I won't admit it, but most probably, they, you know, yeah. yeah. Most they probably just created probably him. Did. Many of them will admit that yeah. they think he sinned, right? Yeah. But he was a man on another planet who was very o- obedient to the laws of that God of that planet, and therefore he became a God of this planet. Um. Now, they admit that Christ never sinned, um, but there's a question whether God the Father sinned. Um, that probably is going to blow some people's minds. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you this one. Uh, following with that, because you, so that's who are the children of God. You recently also have an article on who are the sons of God in the Bible. And this one gets into some interesting things, especially if we look at uh, Genesis 6. This is where it often comes up. So from your study of the sons of God, who are the sons of God in the Bible? Can you expound on that? <laughs> now you're now you're learning. I was going to say, I was going to say they're angels or people. <laughs> 
Now you asked me to expand, so now I have to do more. <laughs> so um, I did uh, a search on uh, Logos, which I have now. Now I have Logos 8. <laughs> so do I. Um, yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> so uh, I got to so use a lot have, more. Wait, wait. Have you gotten used to the new notes in Logos yet? You're going to show me stuff. I just got it today. Okay. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a whole new note system. For folks who do want to get it, I'll, I'll put a in the show notes, I'll put a, a link. You can get five free books from Striving for Eternity. Just go to bit.ly.com. Uh, I think it's Logos SFE or SFE Logos. I forget which one, but bit.ly, bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y.com slash. Let me, go, let me check it. Hold on. It, you don't have a SFE page from Logos like Carm does? Yeah, I do. And that's the one I just gave. Okay. I, the shortcut to it is bitly, B-I-T-L-Y dot com slash later. Logos. Okay. Cool. So, you went to Logos. What, what are, who are the sons of God? You said angels and Christians. Yeah, a- angels and people. Um, the, and the phrase occurs uh, 10 times, one, two, yeah, 10 times. And uh, Genesis 6 is talking about angels, and uh, Gen- in Job is talking about angels, and um, in Matthew, Luke, Romans, and Galatians is talking about people. And so I've got this article, and uh, I'm sure Charlie will beat me, children of God, he beat it, but sons <laughs> of God, oh no, he, no, he didn't, Here, watch this, I'm going to beat him. Yeah, he's, oh, did he already get it? Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know. He's pretty good. Who yeah. were the sons? Who are the sons of God? In the, wait a minute. In Genesis. Oh, I see what he did. Anyway, so um, what I did was I wrote the article, and because there weren't that many occurrences of the phrase, I just copied every single text, put it into a table, so people can read it for themselves, and they can see what the context is of each verse. And uh, I just noticed something about linking. Okay. Now, I, I did notice it is kind of interesting that in all of the Old Testament passages, you say it refers to angels. In all the New yeah. Testament passages, in mm-hmm. the Greek, it seems to refer to people. Yep. I don't know if there's – so if we were to look at the Genesis 6, which is uh, – there's two verses in Genesis 6 that refer to it, three in Job. Um at least yeah. in Job, it's clear that it's speaking of angels. Some people have questioned with the Genesis 6. It yeah. does seem in the Hebrew, the other passages seem to refer to that. But we would see that it could refer to people, at least in the Greek. Well, in the New Testament, yes. But in Genesis 6, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves. The sons of God and uh, there's a lot of there's some, there's debate. The Sethite theory that it was actually the descendants of Seth marrying the Canaanites and, uh, Canaanites and stuff like that. But I don't buy that. Uh, it's never what the church taught, never what the Jews taught. It's always been that they understood it from the from day one, that it was fallen angels. That's how the Jews always understood that text. That's, I'm going to just go with that because that just makes far more sense since that's what it is. And the Sethite theory didn't come around until the 1500s when it became criticized. And they, hey, let's do, make another theory up. But as far as the term goes in the New Testament, um, we find that it's referring to people. And, uh, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They cannot even die anymore because they're like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And their sons of God means people. And so uh, it just that's what it means. It's a nice little, you know, interesting study. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that... 
when I talked to the Logos guy today, I told him, I said, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a plug, a shameless kind of a plug. But I said, I'm always plugging Logos. I mean, not every minute, but I said, it's really a great program. And I'm telling you, all I got to do in this thing, and, and you know, Andrew, is just put in a phrase, boom, there it is. Every phrase and has exportability and the whole bit. I'm serious. Logos is really good. I yeah, really I mean, recommend people go. It's expensive, but it's really, yeah. really good. People complain because it's expensive, but yeah. what you get for the expense, and that's the thing you have to remember, is you're getting a ton of study that you yeah. can do very quickly. And being yeah. the searching in it is, is, and this is what I, you and I need Incredible. to do. I need to teach you how to like do some of the searching where you could say, okay, I want to know where Jesus is speaking, and uh, Peter is within three words of the word fish. Yeah. And you can yeah. search that way. Um, I mean, it's it's really neat the kind of different ways you could do searching, and they're very powerful. And now they made it even easier. They used to have you had to code in all this crazy code to get it to to do that. Now it's just they pre-populate things, so you just fill it in. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, so let's uh, let's go to Cody. He came in. Uh, so Cody, you can unmute yourself and Matt, you'll remember Cody. Uh, you met him in Dallas a couple of years ago. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> are we joking? I was in Dallas? Yeah. A couple of years ago when you did a debate <laughs> with David Smalley and, and yeah, that, that's Matt, about how I remember. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I mean, every time you come in, Cody, he's always like, Oh, have we met? <laughs> Yeah, and then I have to go through this long list of all the different ways that he knows me. He just doesn't remember that he knows me. Oh, I know. So, anyway. Hey, don't, don't feel bad. The first time when we went to Washington, D.C., Matt and I were going, we went to sushi, and we were waiting outside for the Josh. And you know who Josh, Calvinist Klein. Yeah. And Matt's like, so who are we waiting for? Josh, you know the guy that called in the, the show, and he was dating a girl and gave her a quiz from Carm? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Couple minutes later, Matt's like, who are you waiting for? Yeah. Yeah. Who's Josh? The guy with the dating. I was like, like five times we went through it. <laughs> right. Uh, Matt is, so what are we Matt, talking about now? I don't know. Matt, Matt has the short-term memory of a goldfish. <laughs> where, where is Josh, by the way? <clears throat> He's married. He, he got married. He got married. But, do, you know, should we hear some advice from his marriage? Let's see. Do I have that handy? This was this was him giving <laughs> when Matt Matt asked him uh, how how his marriage was going. This is what Josh said. Yeah, it's been it's been challenging, but it's it's yeah. good. I feel like I feel like it's already been forever. It's only been sixteen days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt, you had some words of advice for him after that. Come, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think oh, yeah, we're gonna yeah, have to play yeah. that more if he doesn't show up. So, yeah. well, uh huh. He's a good guy, though. He is. He is. Uh, he's actually working on a course for us at Striving for Eternity on textual criticism. Uh, it's going to be a while before that comes out, but that's going to be really good. good. good so, mm. so, Cody, you got some um, questions for us? Well, yeah, I can always conjure something. But, uh, you know, the first thing I thought about whenever I heard that commercial for, for when he said, ding dong, Jehovah's mm -hmm. Witnesses, ding dong, Mormons, I was waiting for him to say, ding dong, dispensationalists. But, uh, wow. he, he, he didn't do that. Oh, no, that is good. You just moved up. <laughs> That's You're the, dispensationalists yeah. on, uh, you know, actually go door to door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you got to you got you got to earn those people hey, into the kingdom of heaven. No, it's you're you're familiar with the council. I uh, and I don't remember yeah. who it was someone interviewed him for. I did. It was you. Yeah, it was yeah. Cody. It was okay. So so that was great. You brought up that commercial, and Todd Friel had no clue because he doesn't listen. He plays the commercial all the time, but he like doesn't listen during the breaks he started he's working so he didn't even pick up on me <laughs> what didn't, didn't even his question was did you just call me mr ding dong <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll be honest my heart kind of skipped the beat when he said that and i was like uh, uh. <laughs> I, I actually i talked to him uh, after you, that interview and i filled him in i'm like here's a, here go listen to the commercial you did he goes oh that's what he was talking about <laughs> Right, and then there's the awkward radio sounds, and he goes, "How's it going, Cody?" And I'm like, "Oh, g- good." And then I went on because I wasn't sure. Anyway, dude, you sound yeah. like Josh. You sound like a lot like Josh. <laughs> wow, why are you insulting him that way? <laughs> you, Josh? Yeah. I didn't say who the him was. I just okay. Well, I have, I have a few more years on what's what to say and what not to say about my marriage than Josh does. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, you know, no, I'll be married. I, guess how? I mean, my wedding anniversary is. Uh, one week from today. One week awesome. from today, it'll be thirty-two years. Wow! Congrats, man. I I really only thought Neek would stay with you for two, but two two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> two days is what I was saying. I thought she was just looking to get a honeymoon out of the deal, and then oh, she got a honeymoon. That's right. That was another thing. Yeah. Anyway, man, let so, me ask uh, you a question. Yeah, sure. Um, I you know I. I hear you talking about, you know, your argument for, uh, for, for, you know, sprinkling kids. Oh, um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, and I've heard you go through a million times about, you know, saying that you believe Jesus was sprinkled. Um, yeah. and, you know, that he was filling, fulfilling a lot of righteousness and you made the, you make the connection between the Levitical priesthood, how they were sprinkled when they came into their ministry and things like that. How do like, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know. So maybe you can expound on it. Um, I've heard people like casually say, well, Jesus wasn't part of the Levitical priesthood. He was part of right. the Melchizedek priesthood. And I, I could, is that in contradiction? Yeah, yeah, it's a, no, no, it's not a contradiction. What it's, what a fair, it's a fair statement. It is because it's true. But then we have to look at um, what does it mean when he said he came to fulfill all righteousness? And um, I don't know of any other places in the scriptures that even approach what he did, except out of the Levitical priesthood issue. Now, people say, well, he's not a Levitical priest. He's a, he's a Melchizedek priest. Well, but then you're saying they're still priests. And the priesthood manifestation requirements are listed in the scriptures. And furthermore, all the priesthoods of the Old Testament point ahead to the true priesthood of Christ. So they're representative of that priesthood. Unless you want to say the Levitical priesthood is not representative of the true priesthood. If that were the case, then that'd be heretical. But if they say it is uh, representative, then in what way is it representative? Well, you know, I mean, the offering of, of blood and and sacrificing and things like that obviously points to the cross, obviously. But what we find is that in order for people to enter into that priesthood, Levitical priesthood, they had to be 30 years of age. Jesus was 30, had to be anointed with oil. Jesus was anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit, a verbal blessing given on the priest. Jesus had a verbal blessing given on him. They were sprinkled with water. Jesus was baptized. And I can show you other instances where baptism implies um, sprinkling strongly. And I mean, you can do that if you want. 
out of the Bible. But uh, so it just makes sense to say, well, that seems to be where it is. Leviticus 8, Numbers 4, Exodus 29. Those, uh, I don't know of any other places. And I've looked and did cross-referencing. and so No other place seems to have it. So my conclusion is it seems to be that he was fulfilling the law. And the only place that the law speaks about the kind of things he did was in those chapters in the Levitical priesthood. So I, I just put two two together and go, okay, that, that's good enough. So, so, and Cody, this is one of the areas where Matt and I disagree. I would take the position, like you said. So, let me let me ask you, Matt. Let me challenge you a bit. So, okay, the priest was sprinkled with oil, right? Water. Anointed with oil. No, he's he's anointed with oil, sprinkled with water. Yeah. So, so I, I would say that the anointing of the Holy Spirit wouldn't be directly you know I, I would say that it's not that's not a direct correlation to this the anointing with oil yes uh, it is first john two twenty seven. the anointing which you have received abides in you and that's speaking of the holy spirit yeah no i'm saying i'm not saying that he's not anointed from the holy spirit i'm saying that he wasn't anointed with oil which would have been the argument yeah but oil rep- has a representation of the spirit um and there's some research on that as well but here's the thing to, to draw out of that notice this there's a small point that not very often is brought up. If you have an, an object uh, that's going to the temple, sometimes I believe that they were immersed in water or whatever it is that to be immersed yeah, in to be cleansed. But also uh, things were anointed with oil by having somebody touch something with oil or to, uh, and uh, have oil applied to something. And the high priest would go in uh, on Yom Kippur and he would sprinkle the mercy seat with blood. And he wouldn't immerse the mercy seat, which is the lid. He wouldn't immerse it. He would sprinkle it. And uh, I think the sprinkling is, I don't know, check it out. If, see if, if in the Septuagint, it uses the word baptizo or cognate. But if you guys want, here, tell you what, look at this. Watch this. If you really want to see the evidence for this kind of a thing, you go to Hebrews, I uh, believe it's 9. And um, there we go. Uh, let's see, get back into the NASB, the one that Paul the Apostle used. Uh, where is it? Well, I, did. I guess I'll stick with the elect standard version then. The what standard? The less standard? Elect. The elect standard version. Elect standard version, which gets Romans uh, 5.18 wrong. <laughs> it does. That I will stand on. Uh, it does. Um, it does. Okay, so... Uh, Okay, here we go. NASB. So if we were to go to Hebrews 9, check this out. I'm gonna, I, I forgot where exactly it is, so let me just kind of read the whole thing. Uh, Even now the first covenant had regulations of divine worship in the sanctuary, earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared, lampstand, bread table behind. The second veil is tabernacle, also called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the tables of the covenant, the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Verse 6, now when these things had been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. You think you're thinking maybe verse 13 for the blood? No, 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 no. Hold on. Let me go, let me, that's really, this has got me, I don't want to get ahead. I want to, you'll see what I'm doing. Um, but I got stuck on performing the divine worship because it just made me think of Catholicism. So I got to, File that one away. Okay. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins that committed against the ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this the way the holy place 
is disclosed the outer tabernacle, which is a symbol of the present time, according to both the gift sacrifices, worshiper, relate to food and drink and various washings. The word washings there is baptismas, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. Thank you, right? Uh, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered in the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify the cleansing of the flesh. So the uh, how much more will the blood of Christ uh, you know, do the same to you? So it talks about sprinkling here particularly in verse 13, but in verse 9 or verse 10 is talking about uh, food, drink, and various washings, regulations for the body imposed at a time. What he's talking about there is the Old Testament requirements of the priesthood, what they had to go through. And then it goes into Christ as our high priest, entered through the great tabernacle, his own thing, his own blood. And then the sprinkling it talks about, which I think is interesting, and goes back to the Old Testament system. But if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes, sprinkling those who have been defiled, uh, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. Well, you know, the washings here, baptismos, is in the context of speaking of sprinklings. And the Old Testament regulations were sprinklings, a lot of them. So I'm just saying that there's, a, there's evidence here that the word baptismos in the context uh, can deal with sprinkling. Well, that's proof. There's yeah, I mean, I, I would challenge just a little because, I mean, the washings, there is a, and, and I know you're familiar with this, uh, others may not, but the, you know, the, the Jews would have uh, the mitzvahs where someone would, there would be a baptism. And this is what I think John the Baptist was doing, which is why so many were confused by it. When a Gentile is going to become Jewish, they would ha- be immersed into water uh, with a baptism. Okay, that seems to be what John the Baptist was doing. So I, I would think that he was uh, fully immersing folks. Um, I don't believe so, but that, you know, that's okay. I think it's possible to, to baptize the three thousand by immersion if twelve disciples were doing it. And, well, but it, yeah, that's where I just—I like don't think it would have been the twelve. I think you it think it'd be like 20. everybody would doing it. Yeah, I don't—I don't buy that one either. But. Um, you know, that's the early church sprinkled. So, you know, whatever doesn't mean it's right. But uh, yeah. And but even even in the, you know, and, and this will be wait, wait, go back to the guy who asked the question. Well, so let, well, let me just say this. what the first that we see the sprinkles sprinkling uh, or actually pouring, not sprinkling would be uh, in the Didache. Right. And which is not immersion, but it's a form of baptism by pouring. It's a, it's a baptism by pouring, but it does mention that that's in areas where there's little water. So it, it's saying yeah. that it's acceptable where there's little water. So I would say that the, the first century, I think based on that, the first century example we have is where there was enough water, they would immerse. Yeah, I prefer immersion, actually. I prefer it. I like I was immersed in the ocean. You know, I think it's I think it's biblical to be immersed. I think it's biblical to be uh, sprinkled. <laughs> because Jesus most probably was sprinkled according to the law. You you have a right to that opinion. <laughs> well, they to fulfill the righteousness and the only place that talks about water applied to him is in the context of sprinkling in the priesthood. So I have not seen anybody get out of that one. They can say they don't accept it, but I've not seen them get out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just go with your argument for the uh, the uh, Nephilim that the Jews always believe that 
that the Baptista was immersion. So I'm good with that. You know, actually, with the Nephilim, <laughs> the, they, you know, there is, and, and Matt, I got to do some study on this, but Jason Lyle, um, I don't know if you know who he is. He, he's an astrophysicist. He was, he used to be with Answers in Genesis, then uh, Institute of Creation Research. Now he's on his own on, uh, oh, now why am I drawing a blank? Biblical science. Whatever, some other place, yo. Yeah, but so he's on his own. But J- Jason Lyle, uh, actually went into the different Hebrew words there with the Nephilim and that passage in, in Genesis 6. And I actually have to talk to him and get to, to work through the Hebrew with him. He's the first I've heard that gave an argument that's not just, well, that would be Greek mythology, so I can't be right. Um, <laughs> right? So I haven't really seen really good arguments against the sons of God being angels. Uh, as we see elsewhere in in, Jew, in uh, uh, Job, so you know he, I, I have to check that out. Maybe maybe we'll get him on one time and go through that because he really has a very interesting uh, argument on it through the Hebrew um, that he looked at, and I hadn't heard it. And because he did it, he said it once, and I I wasn't I couldn't take the notes to write it all down. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you that that seems to be the reading. Uh, that that's been accepted historically, but the 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 way we see the word sons of God in in the Old Testament. Yeah, it seems to be the yeah, I've heard, I heard Vody Bach Science Institute. I heard, that, yeah, that's Jason Lyles, and I interviewed him too, yeah. by the way. Anyways, um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, and James Wright. <laughs> hey, hey but, Cody, uh, Cody, do we need to pick up that uh, you know, that plug you just dropped the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you want, but I'll just uh, anyways, um, no, I was gonna say, uh, um, I heard Bodie Bachum talk talk through that too, and he and he also disagrees that sons of God, it, it, like he he, then I, I and I can't remember, I can find the sermon, send it to you, Andrew, if you want, but where he goes through that and says no, that they they were not the offspring of fallen angels and and people, and and I can't remember, it's been so long since I listened to it, but anyways. All right, so uh, Cody, I don't know if you have anything else because uh, if not, I see that Andrew unmuted his mic. I don't know if uh, our friend from down under has has a question. I do actually. It's for Matt. I was talking about it earlier when he was alluding to the feelings. Um, I guess it's a two part question, really. Um, how much value they actually place on the feelings, and what's the impact? within uh, uh within their doctrine and how do they uh how does that impact on mormonism as a belief james 1 5 says if you lack wisdom if any of you lack wisdom let a mask of god and so what the mormons will do is use god's word to justify their feelings because they're going to say if you lack wisdom let them ask of god and he'll reveal it to you oh they play pray about the book of mormon because it says in moroni 10 4 uh, to pray about the Book of Mormon to see if these things are true. And then you get a feeling. You ask of God. So they use the Book of Mormon, and then they use the uh, Bible in James 1, 5 to, 5 to validate this idea of praying for the, uh, the Book of Mormon. So they get a sensation. They get a feeling. So it's feelings-oriented, feelings-based, period. Mm-hmm. And okay. um, you sh- if you haven't gone to a Mormon ward, go go check it out. You know, go go on a Sunday. They're not going to beat you up. They're not going to you know be mean. That they're nice people. Go check it out. It's just plan to be there two, three, four hours. You can leave anytime you want. There were several you know. that were nearest. Yeah, just check one out. 
and uh, just there dress was, up nicely. But, um, I haven't got any now. I'm like I wouldn't know where the nearest one is now. I'm uh, I'm I can't drive anymore, so I'm on public transport. Okay. Well, you know, it depends if you want to go. Bit of a I recommend when I go. But, but I do recommend people go because then you can see what it is that they do, and you go, oh, it's a very feelings family oriented religion, and so it's all about feelings, all about family and things like that. So that's it. Okay. And then when when uh, when one thing is destroyed, Mormonism, then all, everything that goes along with it, that they base everything, all this goodness and feelings and love, is really thrown up in the air. It really messes with them, and so a lot of them become atheists because it's easy. Because in atheism, you don't have to be accountable to anybody. You can feel whatever you want. It doesn't, even, doesn't matter. There's no um, absoluteness to it. So you can fi find um, a kind of a false safety in it for a while. And then people often become addicted to it because they like the self-grandizement that atheism provides. Totally. Um, uh, the next question I had. Um, some other writers that uh, you might know of to, to read generally, and um, what I mean by writers, I mean older ones. For example, at the moment I'm going through some of the uh, old um, A.W. Um, Hoser stuff and material. Um, I'm wondering if you can recommend anybody else. For what? Uh, just for general reading. On what? And knowledge. On what? Uh, Christianity, um, extension of the Bible, um go to carm i guess <laughs> i mean yeah, thanks you know because i've done so much research and writing i just break it down for people and put it right there um yeah but uh depends on what kind of thing you want what you're looking for maybe i can recommend some books yeah well that's what i was kind of looking for um, but anyway, I'll go to Carmen and I'll have a look. I guess you've got a list there somewhere. Yeah, I got a list of recommended books, which I haven't gone over in five years. I got updated, but uh, there are some good books out there. I definitely want to get a systematic theology uh, by Wayne Grudem. That's the best one I think is out there right now. Yep, yep. Because um, I mean, what what I mean by that is the first theological book I ever bought was Willing to Believe by R.C. Sproul. It took me, you know, I bought it, it took me about three or four years to actually open it and read it. Well, that's pretty fast, you know. That's, that's about the reading speed of Andrew. He reads like one one word every hour, I think. He's pretty good. <laughs> that's, he's increased. <laughs> Hearing him sound it out is hard. Like, uh, you know, once upon a time, uh, it goes on for hours, and then gets it. So. That's okay. Thanks for that. <laughs> All right. All right. So let, hey, Matt, let's wrap up with this. I, I put something out on Facebook, a, group, a quote from Greg Kokel. I Maybe get your, your views on this. Um, could we use this to wrap up tonight? Uh, because it's got a lot of interaction. Uh, Greg Kokel said this, quote, It is possible to tell the truth and yeah. still lie, unquote. Yes, and what he was talking about was in media how people can, will, will not give all the details so that he can purposely mislead people. So is it possible to state things that are independently true in an, in an order or without all the details in such a way that it would still be considered a lie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tell half-truths, like Satan did it. Um, God, you know, did God say, eat of the, tr of the trees, reciting something that God said? 
Yeah, well, God knows that this is going to happen. You'd be like him. Well, technically, knowing good and evil, that, that's, that there's truth in that. But what he's doing is weaving a lie with the truth. This is what the left is very good at, not to mention uh, um, omitting uh, truths so that they shade what the truth is, according to their view and conception. Yeah, I don't trust the left. They are. And I, th and I heard. Oh, I yelled out loud. I was so happy. I didn't vote for Trump, okay? But um, he said to one of the guys, because, you know, if you, you, you some, some meeting of the news people, he said something, blah, blah, blah. I forget what it was. He goes, you are the enemy of the people. And I went, I just yelled out loud, exactly correct. I believe the news media is the enemy of the people. I do. Yeah, well, well that's why I think so many people actually like Trump is because he's saying what they, they would uh -huh. like. They would just want to hear someone say it. But yeah, I mean, I, someone actually had the point you just said that there is a single omission when you omit key details mm -hmm. to provide the context. Um, yeah, to mislead, to mislead. I mean, I, I think I know there's some who think that as long as they're saying the truth, everything, everything independently is true. They're not responsible for the way people interpret those things and right. the way they put it. But you know, if they're doing it to deceive, you know, would that be a lie? How about this one? Is it possible to not lie and also not tell the truth at the same time? Not lie and not tell the truth. At the same time. There's two knots in there. And that's throwing me off. It's not, not a double negative trick of logic. Yeah, no, no, I know. Um, but can you actually um, not be lying about something, but also not telling the truth. I, I would say yes. And that's, I think that's what Greg How? was getting at is that How? I think that it, you could be stating things that are true in a way that would be misleading. For example, one of, the, yeah. one of the examples that someone had was, have you stopped beating your wife? Well, sorry, right? I mean, but yeah. well, if I've never been beating my wife, then I, you know, I could say yes, but that would assume that I was beating my wife. Right. Well, here's the thing. We always define our terms. What's a lie? A lie is an intention to deceive someone, right? Mm -hmm. So what if I honestly thought, for example, say you were out here visiting for a week and you're gone for doing something with some other friends and stuff here for a couple of days. And I said, no, today, Andrew went to the mall because I thought that's what you're going to do. And that's what I, you said you're going to do. But you never did go to the mall. I've not told the truth, but I've also not lied. Correct. Yeah, in that case, in, in a case like that, yes, you, you'd be able to say something that you thought was true. Right, but was not true. Even though it wasn't true, but that wasn't, but your intention wasn't to deceive. And I think that would be the, right. the I think that's what Greg Coco was trying to get at is yeah. if, if people are purposely leaving out details or putting a time order that's different so that they could deceive people. That so is a lie. I think you're on the right you path. Tell the truth and lying. Yes, what? Yeah, I think you're right there, Andrew, because when I used to know Greg when I lived down south, uh, he used to use the example of telling the truth in saying that all mushrooms are edible. That's true enough, but it's deceptive in that it doesn't warn you to the fact that some are only edible one time. Because they kill you and you don't live to eat anymore. So I, I initially told you the truth, but leaving out something would uh, uh, would be uh, 
uh, dangerous. And uh, so if you're giving someone, if your intention is to kill somebody and you give them mushrooms and they ask, is it edible? You're, you could say, yes, it's edible. And that would be true, but leaving out the key ingredient, the key, the key information uh, leads to their death. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a good example. Yeah. Cause we call it mushroom uh, news casting. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, <laughs> go ahead, Cody. Can, can I, ex- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. change the subject. All right. Can I express the desire? <laughs> We only have four I, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would love to see Matt. I know you got a lot going on in your life right now. I would, but I would love to see, I know he's got his own ministry, but I would love to see Justin Peters collaborate with you. Uh, Cause I know that you're going to be working on the false teachers and stuff like that and expounding more on the NAR and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I'll tell you real quick. I, I went to, um, inter- interview with the church for a interim worship pa- leader position, right? And um, song leader position. And we get this, I got to talk with the pastors, and I told them flat out, I said, "Well, I don't do Hillsong songs, and I don't do Bethel songs." And they had a lot of what they did was Hillsong, and they asked me why, and I just told them I started going into different heresies and stuff, and that they were basically prosperity gospel lie. The Bethel holds to kenosis. They believe that if you don't. What? Oh, yeah, that's what they teach. Um, Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Watch the movie American Gospel. It just came out on Vimeo. You have to rent it. Get it. I told Chad Prigmore, he's a friend of mine, I told him to tell you that. Um, American Gospel, rent it. It goes goes into that. American Gospel. American Gospel. It's a documentary that just came out and it goes in the prosperity stuff and it outlines all of that. And it gives the quotes, it gives them speaking. Bill Johnson even, you know, says, if you don't believe in miracles, you don't, you know, you have a false gospel, you're not saved. Yeah. And anyways, so I started telling them all this stuff and, and I was expecting pushback, right? Cause that's all we get on that stuff. And he told me, the pastor said, just looked at me and said, you know, other pastors need to know this. We, we don't know these things. We're too concerned with our congregations to be in touch with what's going on in the, on a greater scale. Wow. Some, some of the time he's like, you, you have a lot of information there that pastors need to know. Yep. And so, you know, I got to looking online and, you know, the only site that I found that has a really whole, um, written out quotes, um, all that kind of stuff is not a site that I really wanted to recommend to the pastor. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and, um, but like if, if you, you guys could collaborate on some kind of profiles with links and quotes and stuff like that, to be able to just forward to these people, that would be so helpful because that, that I mean, it's, it's yeah. like a, it's, it's blowing up faster than, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, um, it's, I have over a hundred people in most of research, and I started doing some research on Kenneth Copeland. And within, I think it was a couple hours, I realized, oh my goodness! I mean, I'm not in over my head, but I want to say, man, I'm in over my head because there's just so much. And so, what I'm going to have to do is redo how I do things and just do a single page on each person. I could do pages and pages and pages and articles. I'll never get anywhere. So I want to do a synopsis with documentation. And I've been viewing a couple other sites that kind of do something similar, but I think they make, I'll make a mistake. 
in that they don't just bullet point list out the quotes by topic. This is what they're teaching. Bang, and you can see the quotes. That's what people want. This is what he says. This is what he says. This is where he says it. These are the things that people need to see and hear. And if I can associate them with audio tapes, videotapes, and things like that, then I can have the documentation. Click on this link for those things as well. But then I have to figure out the methodology for storing that huge amount of data, videos, and stuff that people can go through when I do a uh, hundred of these uh, people. So it's going to be a major effort. It's going to take me a year or two to kind of get through it all. But I'm, I'm, you know, I, I want to do it. And uh, I actually have a Facebook page called Exposing the Prosperity Gospel. And um, so I'm asking for help for, for on there for people to go and they um, they will find documentation. What I'm going to do now is start saying I'm going to work on one person at a time and everybody puts in what they find. Then I have to be able to go get their books, document it, get the videos, document it. Then I have to download the, the videos to keep the documentation because sometimes these things get changed and then you're going to break the links, you know? So it's a bit of a job, but yeah. All right. So uh, with that, we're going to, we're going to wrap up tonight. We'll be back next Thursday night. Actually, no correction. We will not be back next Thursday night. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving. Oh, uh, it is. You, we will not be here next Thursday night. So mark that programming note. <laughs> um, but uh week after next, we'll be back um, answering your questions. You can go into the Apologetics Live Facebook group, ask questions there. It's one of the places we take questions from folks. Uh, you know, one of the things I do appreciate, Matt, is the whole time we're talking, uh, the, the atheists that came in and didn't have the good cell signal had to drop out. I'm just watching in the in the chat as I know you are. You're responding with him as well as as people are just evangelizing in there. Uh, it's just encouraging to see that as we're having these discussions and talking, there's a whole lot of activity in chat where people are sharing the gospel, uh, and that's that's yeah. encouraging. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it, it's it's neat to think that we have our Australian friend here who. Um, the technology we can literally reach around the world and be able to share. I think of the the guy who is a nurse. He used to call in when we. Oh yeah, whatever happened to him? I don't know. He 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 was. I mean, he was one. It was great. He he was reading gr good Christian apologists, and you know, he really had good questions. Um, and don't know what what happened with him, but he used to be able to because he worked nights. He mm -hmm. pay pay attention, come in during the day. Um, I will. I did put uh, for folks here in the room, I put the link for the after show. The after show we do is with the council. The council is a group of guys who spend a lot of time on discord, but um, they will do the after show. It's a, a little bit more of a, a free for all discussion, uh, but they are a group of good guys that we associate with and hang out with. And so Matt's going to make his way. I think, are you coming on into the after show tonight, Matt? Uh, maybe for 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. So Matt may be there for 10 or 15 minutes. I probably will not because I haven't had a chance to <laughs> spend with my wife at all. And I hope to spend at least a couple minutes before she goes to bed. But uh, so maybe after she goes to bed, I'll jump in. But uh, the, the, I'll put the link in the um, in the chat as well. And you can just go to the council on Facebook, find it there if you want. But uh, they'll have a continuation where they continue discussing some of the stuff we discussed here. Again, this will become a podcast that you can listen to. So just search for Apologetics Live on whatever podcast app you have, and you'll find it. Uh, I encourage you to, to be checking out some of the other podcasts on 
the Christian podcast community. We're going to be having uh, Theology Gals is going to be coming over soon. Uh, they're working on getting their new website, and that's what they've been waiting for for a while. And then Justin Peters is getting his podcast going again. And so he's going to be doing, I think, twice a week. He'll also be on the Christian podcast community. And starting in January, we hope to open that up to other podcasters. Um, if you're interested, you can go to the group, the Christian podcast community group, there's two, one that's got a bunch of heretics in it, and then the smaller one. Uh, it's amazing that these the heretics always have the bigger groups, right? But uh, if you go to the smaller one, uh, Christian Podcast Community, uh, you, you ask to join, um, you get approved. But uh, we're, we're going to be fo- letting folks in there know when we're opening up and, and have the applications ready. We've been trying to just work. We want to make sure we do things legally right to, to protect everyone so that they are assured that they own their content. And there's no question about that. So uh, we've been working with the attorneys to get the contracts right and things like that. So with that, want to encourage you, we've given you plenty of articles from karm.org for you to check out. Uh, want to tell you also check out the materials at Striving for Eternity. You can find my books there. You can find our free classes there that we offer online on theology and uh, how to interpret the Bible called hermeneutics, world religions, uh, even how to intro to discipling. So all of that is available in our Striving for Eternity Academy. And so we will not be here next week. Again, that's Thanksgiving. No apologetics live. You'll need to do your apologetics over the Thanksgiving turkey. For some of us, there is difficulty with Thanksgiving because we have to do more apologetics than enjoy turkey. And uh, I don't enjoy turkey, but yeah, the apologetics is is there. So um, yeah, I actually had Matt. I had my daughter. I should give a plug. My daughter had a great wedding. They organized it. Uh, there was more gospel presentation than there was talk of marriage or of my daughter and her her husband. Um, wow, that made was, me proud that happened. Yeah, it was it was really. I mean, they 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 did target it. I think toward my Jewish family though, because they, I think they read all of Isaiah fifty three. <laughs> wow, gave the fulfillments in the New Testament and and just in, in their readings. Basically, all the readings, all the songs that were sung were all about the gospel. The pastor got up, and and the reason they didn't want me to officiate was because they knew it would me sharing the gospel wouldn't come across as well to my family. And so, my daughter and my son-in-law had a heart for uh, the unsaved there, both my family and my wife's family. And so they really wanted to the gospel presented and they figured if it came from someone other than me, my family might accept it a little bit better to hear it that way. Uh, and it was great. I mean, the gospel was presented the, the night before at the rehearsal dinner at the wedding, at the wedding reception. Uh, they made sure the gospel was heard and it was it was just it was wonderful. It was great to see that. And uh, I'm just really uh, was very thrilled with with all of that this weekend. It was a great time. And uh, sorry, you couldn't be there. I financially, I understand it's not cheap to fly across the country, but um, it, it was a great time. I put up some pictures on my Facebook for folks who want to see that. So until the week after next, remember right. practicing the apologetics that you learn here with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport and continue listening to Apologetics Live. See you in two weeks, folks.
See you guys. God bless. Bye.